We're going to continue just a little bit talking about just some areas of being whole. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and find the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to be reading from Hebrews 12 in just a moment. And then I'll be backtracking to the book of Matthew and reading some of the words of Jesus. I've mentioned on occasion that I was trained for the ministry in, I guess, the conventional way, or what most people consider the conventional way. I headed off to college and did the college routine, and then went to a a seminary and did what we needed to do there. And it was while I was there that I did most of my study in church history. I always laughingly refer to that as my graduate degree in church fights, because uh, that's really church history. And uh, having said that, if you take it just a little bit further, the reason there was so much of that going on is because we're just half crazy as people. We're just dysfunctional. We, we don't know what it means to be whole. W-H-O-L-E, whole. Everyone say whole. In fact, one of the most notable characters in all of history is a guy by the name of Martin Luther, and I'm sure everybody here has heard his name in some form or fashion. He is the personality that we look to as the leader or the initiator of what we would call the great Protestant Reformation. What most people don't know about Luther is that Luther struggled incredibly with all sorts of internal emotional issues. In fact, uh, most people when they begin to hear the characters all through, a, all through history or church, church history, I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get this picture that kind of develops in my mind that you hear about, you know, Huss or Tyndall, or, or you hear, you know, Whitfield or Wesley, or, uh, you know, whether it be Calvin or Luther or Erasmus or Augustine, or, I mean, we could throw out all these names of, of the saints of the ages that you hear sort of like they're titans of the faith, and they're these people that are just larger than life. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I read about them or, or hear what they've done or how we venerate them now decades and centuries after the fact. It makes me feel like, who am I compared to them? What, 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 what could God do in me compared to them? I, I, I mean, I'm just not them. I do the same with biblical characters. I say to myself, these guys are in the Bible. I mean, they ain't me. But what you need to know, and I think it's very important, is that, that a guy like Martin Luther, who God used in order to start a whole Protestant Reformation. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that was imperfect. Let me tell you something Not only was he burdened with this over-consumed aspect of guilt and wanting to to get out of the guilt that he was constantly living under, but I mean the dude was just flat um, an angry, mad person. He He was just mad. If I could quote to you out of the German what he would call the Pope from the pulpit. It would it would the best translation i could give in church would be this he called him a, a numbskull mule that's about as good as i can get it to you out of the german from the pulpit he would he would get mad at uh, the enemy and he would he would in his writings he would cuss at the devil he would swear at the devil well you're right now going can you be a christian and swear at the devil well i don't know he started this whole reformation so i guess god used him that way But I'm just telling you, he was a guy that was just plagued with all sorts of issues. Stress, he had had stomach issues, he translated the whole New Testament in the bathroom. 
because he had such stress issues that went on in his life. I'm, I'm telling you, we are dysfunctional. Someone asked me one time, is there anybody that's truly functional? And the answer is no. You can grow up in the best home with the best parents. You can have a leave it to beaver existence. I mean, that could have been your household. And I'm going to share this with you. If you're a human being, you're still dysfunctional because you came into this world alienated from God and in sin. And so you're still dysfunctional. And here's my job today. My job today is to break and rip the mask off your life and to get you to admit there's a piece of you that's crazy. That's my job this morning. Now we're going we're gonna to bring completeness and wholeness back to you because if I were to look at you right now and say, does everybody here or the vast majority of you believe that this cross and what Jesus did for us and in us through this cross brings wholeness to our lives. Would you believe that with me this morning? I believe that. Most of you believe that. But before that works, you've got to at least say, I'm nuts. I don't think, you see, the reason I'm using that kind of language or imagery is because what we do internally is we say, again, I'm not that bad. It's not that often. Probably not as bad as others, and I'm aware of some. I work with them, go to school with them. I'm neighbors with them. But the issue isn't them. The issue is you. It's me. It's us. There was a guy, and again, I'm going to read out of Hebrews and in Matthew here in just a moment, but there was a guy that laid by the pool of Bethesda, which was sort of a hospital area, and uh, the Bible tells us that on occasion, the angel would come down and stir the waters and the first one in would get healed. And in John chapter 5, you see the account of Jesus coming to the pool at Bethsaida or Bethesda, depending on your translation. And uh, he comes and he sees all these people gathering around the pool. Now, you would think if the angel had been coming down on a, on a fairly regular basis and everyone knew that the thing was going to be stirred or healed, you would think that if you needed to be healed or well, that you'd get yourself right about like this. If this was the pool, you'd get, you'd get just right about like this. And as soon as you saw that first ripple, boom! Wouldn't you think? I, I mean, you would think, I mean, I'm, I'm going to wait. And if, if the first little stir, boom! Dude, I'm in. You would think that would be the case. But apparently there was a guy, he said for decades, as best we know, for decades, had been hanging around that pool, and I don't care what type of infirmity you would have, you could drag your carcass down whatever steps you needed to get to, so you could at least fall in. <laughs> 30 years! But Jesus comes along, and he comes to this kind of hospital area where this was going on, and he looks at the dude, and this is what he says... He says, do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be whole? You would be amazed at how many people would say, no, thank you. I'll just keep my crazy. But it's the question of the hour, do you want to be whole? And I've decided that uh, whether anyone else wants to be whole, I'm going to be whole. 
And you know what? I've decided this. I've decided for 2007. I know, I know, I love the cast vision. And some of that's a guy thing. Some of that's a pastor thing. Some of that's just, you know, good administration and organizational things. You know, cast the vision, keep the vision before the people. But I'm just going to declare this to everyone. For 2007, I don't, I, I, and it's not that I don't care, so understand what I'm saying here. But if, if we don't get another person in a seat, if we don't get another person that says, I want to go to Legacy, if, if not another person decides to walk in our doors, 2007, here's the deal. I want to be whole, and I want you to be whole. And if we just get whole, let's just take a year and just say, if we get whole this year, let's say we get 150 people whole. I think if we got 150 whole, that might be the best advertising we could ever give in the earth. We're just, I'm whole. I think people would look at you like, what is going on? And you just look at them and say, finally, I'm normal. I'm whole. I believe God would really want that to happen. And uh, I want to start, and I'm going to take this week and next week, so you're just getting the introduction this week, okay? you got to promise me to come back next week, because what I'm going to share with you this morning only opens the door. I'm going to open a can that will leave you dangling, unless you come back next week and understand how you can close the can. And I'm not doing that on purpose, it's just there's so much to to talk about in this particular area, because it's going to be an area that's going to affect every one of us in this room this morning, and I've called it Getting Honest about being bitter getting honest about being bitter and i'm going to deal a little bit with bitterness and then next week i'm going to talk obviously about forgiveness and i believe god can really start the process of setting you free in march i'm just going to give you a heads up in march i'm going to talk about discouragement and depression do you know how much depression affects people Everybody, I'm here to tell you, everybody deals with that at some level. And there's an answer to that. And we're going to talk about that in March some. But before we can get to all these other wonderful topics of emotional baggage, we got we to start with some foundational concepts. And I want to talk about getting honest about being bitter. So if you have your Bibles, in Hebrews 12, 14, listen to what he says here. Hebrews 12, 14, he says, pursue peace with how many people? How many? Now right there, that'll just mess you up. Because there's some people that just don't want peace, isn't there? I mean, it doesn't matter what you would do. You could could lean over backwards for them. And it it isn't going to phase them, affect them, or help them. They don't want anything. And yet the Bible says that we're to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, can I just share with you, there's sometimes I read things in the Bible and I say, surely you don't mean that, Lord. Are you telling me that if I don't pursue peace with all people, I may not see you? That's exactly what it says. Now, hear me, we're going to talk about whether or not everybody wants peace with you or not, and there may be times you can't do anything about that. But the fact of the matter is, we're not talking about them anymore, we're talking about you and me. And then he goes on to say, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Now, turn over to Matthew's gospel, and I want to read something 
that Jesus said, and, and, and we will get back to this next week as well. But we need to put it out and just read it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. Now listen, this is in the red in my Bible. This is Jesus himself. For if you forgive. Now, that little word if is very important because that little word if means you don't have to. You don't have to do this. Now, I'm not saying that in the sense that you can go, well, that's good to know. I don't have to do. No, I'm saying it's, it's going to be a choice. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Can everyone just say, wow. (laughs) I have a friend who oftentimes reminds me on various subjects that the Bible has no asterisk or exemptions about me or about them. And this is one of those verses where we see no asterisk, we see no exemption, but we've read in both Hebrews as well as these words and read from Jesus that as much as it is possible, I'm to be at peace with all people and I am commanded, hear this, I am commanded, not suggested, I am commanded to forgive all people. And Jesus said, how I do this will be commensurate to how the Lord begins to deal with with me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what would you feel or what would you think or how would your life look if God decided today that he was going to deal with you like you dealt with other people? Think about that for just a moment. What would it be like right now if all of a sudden God said, I tell you what, I'm going to deal with you exactly like you deal with everyone else. I guarantee you, our bell would be rung in a hurry. And we need to get that awareness and that understanding because because God's looking at us and saying, you need to understand what it's going to take to bring you to a place of wholeness and completion in him. So an understatement, I think, would be that forgiveness is a really, really, really significant concept to God. I say since he gave his son for it, it's a significant concept. And yet, to be candid with you, There's a lot of bitterness. In fact, let's just really get honest. There's just a lot of bitterness in the body of Christ. There's a lot of bitterness that stands up in pulpits every Sunday morning. There's just a lot of bitterness in people who would say, well, I love the Lord and I I believe I serve God. and, And yet if we were to take a look into their life, I tell you that we would find bitterness. Some people's bitterness is very, very evident. And some people's bitterness is very, very hidden. In fact, I I just am going to say this because I'm a guy, and perhaps I'm a guy uh, in as much as as I'm wired that way, I have understanding about how guys work, and that's not to exclude women in this statement. But I know a lot of the things that guys face with regards to how they feel about their futures and their jobs and how success kind of works into a guy's psyche. I understand how there are certain feelings that accompany a guy with regards to him wanting to achieve goals and 
him wanting to make sure they're moving forward and raises and promotions and titles. And I understand a little bit how the, the male psyche works. And so I can speak definitively on the men, but I can assume because the ladies are human beings too that it probably affects them. But I'm here to tell you, it's the, I'm convinced it's one of the top issues in a guy's life is bitterness. Now you would find guys, they'll smile, they'll go on. They'll do their job, they'll be faithful to everything that's around them. But bitterness, bitterness is something that is, is so sly, it is so, it, is, it is so hidden, it is so beguiling, I think, that oftentimes we, we don't even see it or at times we live with it for so long, it just gets ignored. But the problem is, whether or not we ignore it, its effects still manifest in our life. Now let me tell you just a little bit about bitterness and how bitterness begins to work inside of a person. What is bitterness? What is bitterness? Put it on the screen. Bitterness is suppressed disappointment. Anybody here been disappointed? Have you ever been? I mean, come on now. You've been disappointed? Wave at me. Get honest. You've been disappointed. Well, what do you do with the disappointment? Well, a lot of us just go... If you get enough disappointment, once that fills up, it just keeps coming until finally it comes out. Suppressed disappointment. Bitterness is unresolved injustice. Has anybody felt like they've gotten the short end of the stick? That situation didn't shake out fair. That isn't really right the way that happened. I'm sure everybody in the room has felt that way, and when it's not resolved, what happens? Just put it in. The next one, unhealed wound or an unreleased offense that ultimately, listen to me, alienates a person from God and from man. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about this, and, and I know there are going to be some of you that grew up under certain doctrinal theological assumptions, and I'm gonna, I may challenge that a little bit, but, but my heart isn't really just to mess you up doctrinally. Listen to me. A lot of people are holding on to doctrine and they're crazy. A lot of people are dysfunctional, but their doctrine's pure. Isn't that great? You've got pure doctrine, but you're nuts. Your family's falling apart. Your marriage is falling apart. Life is not working right, but you've got pure doctrine. Hallelujah. Let me just say the two greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If we can get these things down, I think we're going to be doing okay. Are you with me? And so when bitterness enters in, he says in the book of Hebrews that you'll fall short of the grace of God. He says in the book of Hebrews that all of this is is hinging on whether or not you'll, you'll see God. Now, again, don't let your doctrine get in the way. I'm not trying to get you more doctrine. I'm trying to get you functioning right as a human being. I guarantee you husbands and wives... I can look at you right now and look either one of you in the face and say this. You don't give a rip how perfect your spouse's doctrine is. You just want house to be peaceful. Isn't that right? I don't care. I don't care. I don't care if you're pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial. I just, I want to stop arguing. Amen. So that's what we're talking about right now. Everyone faces all of these things. But for the Christian, listen to me, they are most problematic Because we usually know intuitively that we really ought not feel that way. I mean, most of us know that if we have these things that have happened to us, 
and these feelings begin to rise up inside of us, most of us are aware enough to know, I really ought not be feeling the way I'm feeling right now. But our problem is we don't know what to do with it. So we just keep shoving it in. Or what happens is we begin to take on all the myths and the wives' tales and all the other things that float around out there in the earth. For men, I mean, lots of guys, they're told these things. Oh, be tough. Be, oh, just, you got to get tougher, son. Just get tougher. Well, you know, that's just the way the world works, son, and you just need to get over it and go on because if you're going to function in the tough old business world, that's just how it works. Some of us guys have heard this one. Never let them see you sweat. You never let them see you sweat. Big boys don't cry. Don't let them get to you. You just got to let it roll off your back, kind of like a duck's back. You know, you've heard all these things, haven't you? And we've been doing it for years, and it's just making us crazier. We've heard, ladies, you've been told that you're being too sensitive. You're just too sensitive. I mean, you're over-emotional. You're hormonal. Obviously, it's just that time of the month. You're, you're either PMS or post-MS or whatever it is. I mean, but obviously something's going on here. And so we have all these answers as to why we feel the way we feel. And all these things may have a legitimate application at times. I'm not saying that, that all of this is necessarily wrong or out of order, but truth is a lot of things go unresolved in our psyche. Psuche is the Greek where we get psyche from. Psuche actually means soul. You're created body, soul, and spirit. The Bible tells us that your spirit is your inner man. That's the part that God interacts with, is that spirit, that inner man part of you. But the soul, the soul is where your emotions reside. It's, it's where your rational faculties reside. Uh, I, I say mind, will, and emotion. Your, your choice mechanisms, the way you make decisions come out of your soul, your psyche. And if your psyche's all messed up, if your psyche is, is out of tilt or out of whack, how many of you know your emotions will therefore be out of whack? Your reasoning faculties will be out of whack. And then making decisions, because those faculties are out of whack, you'll make poor, bad decisions. And what happens is your quality of life begins to slowly diminish. In fact, you'll, be, you'll make small, bad decisions and you'll get away with it for a while. But then you'll be making bigger, bad decisions and all of life crashes before your very eyes. So, so what happens is when we don't deal with this, bitter gets in the psyche, and when bitter gets in the psyche and it's unresolved, things begin to happen that get us all messed up. Now, before I, I, I get to some of the things that happen, let me, let me just talk some more about bitterness and how bitterness, how does bitterness occur? Now, this is a fairly simple answer, but it's this, someone or something has hurt us. That's where bitterness starts. Someone or something has hurt us at various levels. It could be just a little hurt. It could be a major hurt. It could be something that's just super, super small that no one else perhaps would even consider, or it could be a massive betrayal. But bitterness always starts when something hurtful takes place. Now, I want you to remember, Jesus said... He said it was impossible that offenses would come, would not come. He said that there are going to be times that you're going to be offended. So you can't walk around saying, I'm not offended, I never get offended. You're lying. Everyone gets offended at times. He said it's impossible, otherwise Jesus would be the liar. Everybody is offended at some level when something happens and we get hurt. 
And most of us, to be honest with you, get hurt a lot because we're just interacting with a society at large that's dysfunctional and the body of Christ, which I will guarantee you is dysfunctional. So we get hurt a lot. Now, I want you to understand three levels of hurt, and I just want to mention this because it's just important that we get understanding. How does hurt occur? Number one, some hurt is unintentional. Sometimes we're hurt and and it just happens. Nobody planned it. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, I've, I've been, I suppose, hurtful. I know I have been hurtful to children or my kids. And, and with God as my witness, I do not sit up at night figuring out ways to ruin their life. I know they believe that that's what I do. I, I know they believe that I just figure out ways to ruin their lives, but I don't. And most of you parents that are here today, you don't do that either. But that's not to say there's not hurt and wound that happens. In regards to that, it's unintentional. You didn't plan it. You didn't mean it. You didn't strategize it. The same thing happens to you. Not every hurt that comes to you was strategized. Not everything that comes your way. Not everybody at work sat around strategizing how to hurt you. Not everybody at school thought about strategy-wise how to hurt you. I mean, not everybody does that. Husbands and wives. I mean, we don't strategize all the time. Sometimes we do. I understand that, but... But I'm here to say a lot of times there's no strategy to it. We just trip into it. And so, so understand right now, and, I, and it should help, that some hurt that comes your way is absolutely unintentional. Nobody planned it. The second level is that some hurt is due to insensitivity. Insensitivity. There are some people who wound us because they're just insensitive. Um, within my family tree, and now that... Now that uh, the Sunday sermons are on iTunes and I've got, I've got to be careful now all that I identify. But within my family tree, distant, distant limb, you're right, it's a distant limb. You'll recognize this person, they're in your family tree too. I can remember one time them saying out loud for numbers to hear this statement. They said, I'm going to say what I think. And everyone's just going to have to deal with it and get over it. And never a truer word has ever been spoken. There is, there is no filter. There is no consideration. There is no pause. If that thought pops in there, it's coming out. And as it comes out, their whole worldview and philosophy is everybody in the universe just deal with it. Because I'm going to say what's ever on my mind. And so we have people like that. They just, they've decided that's how they're going to live. Fact of the matter is they wouldn't like it if it were turned around. But nevertheless, that's how they're going to live. And they, and you know it. You know just as soon as you get around them, it isn't going to take. You'll time it. I mean, you'll just go, in less than 30 minutes, it'll happen and at 29.30. There it is. There it came out, the, the remark that was insensitive. And, and their humor is insensitive. Have you, have you met people? It doesn't even have to be in the family. It could be a, a co-worker or a friend. They think humor is when they find something with you and then seize it. And then pick on it and exploit it. Oh, that's funny. Oh, yeah, it's about as funny as your big mouth. I mean, how would you like? 
I mean, anyway. <laughs> but, they, but they aren't. They refuse to think before they speak. And, and, and I would hope for us that are listening here this morning, it is my, my hope that, that you would do your best not to fall into category number two and do this to other people. Now, can I just say this? I'm quite sure I have been insensitive. I'm quite sure because I'm a human being. I'm quite sure all of you have been insensitive. I'm quite sure you have. So don't, don't say, well, I've never been insensitive. You lie and the truth's not in you. Okay, so we ought to do our best to, to let the Holy Spirit process some things before they're just blurted out. Will we still blurt things out? Sure. But that doesn't mean we ought not work hard at it. And understand that when other people do it, it can be very, very wounding and hurtful. Then finally, number three, there are those who hurt intentionally. Yes, they do strategize. Yes, they do plan. Yes, they do look for ways to, to hurt at incredibly deep, sometimes even vicious levels. It's interesting, especially when it comes to our marriage relationship, that oftentimes the one that loves us the most and we, we get into a fuss with, that's where we find ways in order to hurt the deepest. And the reason we do that is because for, we're either embarrassed, we've got unresolved issues ourselves, we just want to win the fight, or whatever the case may be. But because we know each other so well and we've lived with each other so long, it is easy to pull the thing out and to use the very thing that was given to us in the confidence of our marriage to use that very thing in order to nail that person so we could come away and we could say, but I won the fight. Well, you may have won the fight, but you probably lost something far more important than that. And there are other folks that do that as well. People you work with, people you go to school with, they hurt intentionally and you will meet them. They will plan it and, and, and they'll just do their best to take you out. Those are the three levels of hurt. And when those things happen and they're unresolved, what begins to take place is bitterness, bitterness. Now, how does bitterness manifest? Now, you may not be able to write a list like the one I'm about ready to give you. But if I were to ask you the question, have you ever met a bitter person? How many of you could say, yeah, I, I think I've met a bitter person before. I mean, have you met one? I've met bitter people I, until I started kind of working through and meditating and thinking about it. The question, if it came to me, have you ever met a bitter person? Yeah, I, I believe I have met a bitter person. You can hear it in their words. You can see it on their face. Sometimes you can see it in their demeanor. Sometimes when you meet them, you can kind of see them figuring out who you are. But there are several things that I just, I just want to begin to identify in order that you might begin to recognize perhaps the depth that it works in you. Because... Let me, just, let me just share with you, you know, being in the ministry for nearly 25 years, I've, had, I've seen the good, the bad, the ugly. I've seen people that will hug your neck one day and tell you you are next to Jesus himself. And you do your best to let that stuff go because if you're going to receive the praise, you've got to take the heat too. And so you let that stuff go. But I've watched people who will tell you that, you know, you're the... You're the you know, you're Wesley, you're Whitfield, you are it, you are demand, you're this and you're that, and they'll love you. And then I've watched them turn around and do things that have been incredibly personally hurtful. It's just a part of it. 
I understand that. It happens to you as well. Some of you, some of you have been in situations where you've had marriages that have struggled, some have failed. And uh, I mean, one moment, that spouse or that ex-spouse was hugging your neck and loving you and telling you they loved you and cared about you. And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, it fractured and, and hurt came into the equation. And, and sometimes we don't realize what begins to happen inside of us. And sometimes when you store that up for years, it begins, you, you know, you think you've dealt with it, you think you've forgiven, you think you've done what you needed to do, but if ultimately it is not resolved, what happens is we find ways around it in order to go on with life, but, what, but we're not whole, we're not complete, and that thing will just, will just come up in a moment's notice. You know, I started just thinking and and I've got to be careful how I communicate this because once you hear what I will share with you next week, you'll understand why I have to be very careful about communicating to you the, all the details because if you're getting your healing, there's going to come a moment when you forgive that you've got to let go of all the details. And, and some of us have kept the details for years. And so I've got to be careful, but at the same time, I want to communicate to you because there, there are certain things that I think you can identify with through the years. I can remember going back to college days and school days when you're not selected for you know, certain uh, honors, when you're not selected for certain opportunities, when, when people overlook you because you didn't grow up and your heritage maybe wasn't within that particular denomination. You don't realize that at the time you go on and say, I'm going to serve God and it doesn't matter to me. But you'd be amazed at how that stuff gets, gets stuff down in there when all of a sudden god begins to move and work in you and the holy spirit baptizes you with himself and and you begin to pray in a heavenly language and and god is just filling you with his love and it's just a new day and there's the power of god and you would think everybody would be excited about that and then ostensibly they say we don't want you around here anymore do you understand how sometimes while that may be expected that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt some of you, you gave your life to Jesus Christ and he changed your world and it was a great thing and you started to get your life right and back on track but suddenly you found family members that weren't as thrilled about your decision as you were or you found co-workers or even a spouse or you know any one of a number of relationships and all you wanted to do was get right. You wanted to get the guilt off, you wanted to get yourself right with God and all of a sudden people said, you're, just, you're a holy roller, you're one of those religious folks and they walk away and you didn't know enough at the time. You knew enough to know that they didn't want God but you didn't know enough at the time to know that that was hitting you at a level because you're losing some important people in your life. And it hurt. And there was a wound to it. And the list can go on and on and on. And so when we begin to talk about this, I, I, I want you to begin to understand that, that sometimes you've, you've got to begin to look at sometimes all the things that have accrued and all the things that have been left unresolved and ask yourself the question, not did I say the words, I forgive them, because I'm here to tell you there are people who will walk down front and say they gave their life to Jesus Christ, but I'm telling you, I don't care what they said, their life ain't proven it. Are you with me? I, I mean, they came down, they prayed the prayer, they signed the card, they raised their hand, and they went out and lived like the devil again. So, I'm not here to debate whether or not they got it all, except to say whatever happened at that moment by their confession never translated into actual activity in their life. 
I'm telling you right now, there are people who will come, they'll stand before the cross, they'll say, I forgive John Doe, I forgive Jane Q. Public, I forgive them, and they'll walk out and be just as bitter. Don't you want that to change? I I want it desperately to change. And so we need to figure out then where we've been missing it. But let let me tell you how bitterness happens so you can begin to identify it. Let me give you just a few feelings here. Number one is I call the resentment or the grudge. If you've got resentment or grudge going on in you, then there's bitterness at work. The resentment is interesting because the resentment is that instant replay going over and over and over in your head. It's interesting because those of you, especially guys, you know that in the NFL, if there's a call that was made that they don't feel like was right, they'll throw the red flag and they'll challenge the call. And the referee will run over to the sideline and they'll look in that instant replay thing. And of course, if you're watching it on TV, they'll run the thing 20 times. For you to see whether or not the receiver's feet were in bounds. And interestingly, we have this part of our psyche that works much the same way. Whenever something happens and we think that the wrong call was made, or we think that there was an unfair, unjust happening, that instant replay goes over and over again, and we want to throw the red flag into the situation and say, we need to call that one over again. And we'll go over it and over it and over it. And here's what happens. This is what we do in the midst of replaying that. We start thinking of, oh, if I would have only thought of this. I know what I should have said when that happened. Anybody else like me, you just don't think fast enough at the time. I mean, once you get after that situation, you say, oh, if I would have just remembered, I could have said this. Why didn't I say that then? And here's... Here's the part that I want you to hear, because this is what happens. Some of you have been replaying certain scenarios for years. You say, how do you know? Because I've been replaying scenarios for years. You know what we do? This is what we do. We go, don't think that way. No, you really ought not think. Christians don't think that way. Just quit thinking that way. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Stop. Stop. Tape. Stop. Oh. And that's what happens. And this this resentment, this grudge. And this is the most interesting thing to me because I've just decided this year I'm going to figure it out. This year I'm going to get a hold of it. That as you let that thing replay in your mind, is it not fascinating how the emotion of that moment begins to attach itself to that picture and you start feeling like you felt? I'm just going to be kind, I'll just be honest. Can I just tell you, some of you were with me five years ago, and I had, a, I had kind of a hurtful moment. It really was. <laughs> I'm almost ashamed to say it, but I'll say it anyway. You know how many letters I've written in my mind that I didn't sign? They were good letters. I mean, things, oh, if I only, I'll just, I'll just. Ooh, and then, and hey, you, you want to know what gets weirder? Ooh, I'm going to have to mail it out of town so nobody can look at where the zip code. <laughs> you know why you're laughing? Because you're strategizing out of your resentment. You're strategizing out of the grudge. 
And what happens is, is as you're doing all that, you're saying to yourself, this is the deception of it all. Because you're saying to yourself as you're doing all this, I'm feeling better. I'm not going to do it. I know enough not to do it. But I'm going to feel better because in my mind, I can do all these things. But you don't realize in your psyche, in your soul region, there's something happening. There's something being birthed as you're doing and saying, I'll, I'll feel better about it. What's happening it is, is that you're walking contrary to what God says. Because God says the battle is not yours. It is, it is his. God says that you're not to vindicate yourself. And when it says don't vindicate, he doesn't mean just don't go pick up the sword and actually go vindicate yourself. But he's saying get rid of the thoughts of vindication as well. Jesus said if you hate a man in your mind, you've already committed murder. Jesus said if you lust for a woman in your heart, then you've already committed the adultery. What Jesus was saying was this, don't play those mind games with me. Don't you play those mind games with me. It happens all over. We say to ourselves as Christians, well, I never have acted on it, so I'll just watch it. And Jesus said, don't you go there. Don't you go there. Because your psyche is getting messed up. And it needs to be healed and it needs to be made whole. And resentment is one of those things that happens. Anybody, I watch from time to time, I hadn't here lately, but it's just because it helps me understand sort of the world and what goes on in the world. But you can find him no matter where you go, you can see his face all over the place as Donald Trump. Have you ever looked at his countenance? Think about Donald Trump right now and think about his countenance. It's always... You look at it. You know why? I read one time in a book. In fact, he had a chapter in a book that he wrote. He actually said this. He goes, I hold grudges. And, and basically, he's proud of it. If you ever mess with him in business, his phrase is, all business is personal. Most of us say, ah, oh, it's not personal, it's just business. His view is, all business is personal. He says, I do hold grudges. And I'm telling you, you can have a gazillion dollars like he has, and you can, you can be eaten up by bitterness, and all you have to do is listen just a little bit to him and see that countenance, and you can instantly find a bitter person. Now, bitterness is manifested in resentments. Number two, listen to me, it's anger. Anger. Anger manifests out of that imagery. It's a form of hatred. A lot of guys, listen to me guys, the reason we're angry is because we have a life that didn't turn out like we thought it was going to turn out. Can I just say this? And I, well, I don't want to get too far ahead, so, so bear with me. Let me get through all this, so don't judge me. Bear with me. When I was 25 years old and basically started the ministry, the work of the ministry, can I just tell you that at 47, I really had not envisioned myself at Ashley Landing Mall. I'm not saying it's wrong, it's bad. I'm not saying that I don't love you people. I love you incredibly but just listen to me for just a second that was not where i had envisioned myself 20 years from that particular moment there are some of you right now and if you're not if you're not older you might not have fully grasped this but there'll probably come a time and that's probably what the world calls midlife that you'll suddenly kind of evaluate your life and where you're at and what's going on and and what you had envisioned for yourself didn't turn out exactly, in fact, sometimes nowhere near where you had thought it was going to turn out. And there are certain things that begin to happen. Now, understand, 
guys are not communication beings as a whole anyway. I mean, ladies, by virtue of your gender, you're far more communicating than we are. They say you have twice the word need in a day as a man does. And if men are at work and they're having to communicate via their work, then probably when the day's over and there's time to relax, most of their words have already come out. So for them to begin to talk about all the other things that might, they might be feeling or going through is, is highly unlikely for a lot of guys. Nevertheless, I can assure you that if, if you have reached a place in your life where you have said, you know what, I think there's been unfairness, there's been injustice, there's some things that didn't shake out like I had planned, I didn't envision my life here, I'm not where I thought I'd be financially, I'm not where I thought I was going to be relationally, I'm not where I thought I was going to be ministerially. I mean, you put it out there, whatever it may be, and you may never say it, you may keep being faithful to go to work and to do what's before you because you got to eat, you, you know, you got to pay your bills, but, but there's an anger that begins to stir in you because of what you perceive to be that unfairness or injustice. Magnify that by the fact that you'll look at others that are out there who aren't half as sharp as you and you'll go, I really don't get it now. Anger. You're mad because life didn't shake out and it's bitter. You're, just, you're, you're, you're bitter. Three, self-pity. Self-pity is poor me. It's kind of the variation of the victim. You seek comfort from everyone by looking and acting pitiful. That's actually a form of bitterness. Life threw you some things you didn't anticipate, want, you didn't ask for it, it just threw it at you. And, and you don't deal with it by your anger or your grudge holding, but you're just pitiful. And it's self-pity. Pity me. Pity me. And that's another, it just can be another attribute of being bitter. Number four, this is the one I stumbled on earlier, is ingratitude. Ingratitude is actually an aspect of bitterness. All of us, listen to me, all of us live better and get better than we deserve every day. Do you understand by virtue of being an American citizen or living in America, you are in the top 7% of wealth in the world. If you're homeless, you're still in the top 7% in the world. Now, I don't want you to be homeless. I want you to get out of that. But let's just stop for a minute and call a time out and say to ourselves, we ain't living in shacks in Managua, Nicaragua or in New Delhi, India. We got, we've got it pretty good. And yet, why is it that there is ingratitude? And what happens is out of that bitterness is you harbor that ill will, that unfairness, that injustice. And what happens is you become consumed with the injustice of what should have been rather than consuming yourself with the gratitude of where you are. Are you with me? And so what happens is you say, God, you didn't do this right. This didn't shake out right, God. It's not fair. It's not right. And you're consumed with that when the whole time God's saying, look what you do have. Look where you are. Look what good things are going on in your life. But it's that ingratitude that begins to exist. And can I just look at you folks right now and say that if I haven't said it lately, I want to say it right now so it can go worldwide. Thank you and I appreciate you sticking with me for all of these years. Some of you have been with me for a lot of years. And I just want to say thank you. Because I know there have probably been more than a couple moments you could have said, I, I, I could probably do something else and go somewhere else, but you hung tough. And I just want to say thank you. I really do appreciate you for doing that. Probably don't say it as much as I need to. But I'm just here to tell you, I'm not going to allow the coulda, woulda, shouldas to escape 
the good things that go on this very moment. You don't let that happen either. You've got coulda, shoulda, wouldas. But I'm here to tell you, let the coulda, shoulda, wouldas go and begin to say, God, thank you. And, and if you'll just start doing things like that and say, thank you, I appreciate that. You're, you're going to begin to find that's going to be dealt with. We'll deal with it continually. Finally, number five is discontent. Discontent is an expression of heaviness. Now, at times, depression and discouragement are in this as well. Because you didn't get or you aren't getting what you feel like you deserve. And so you're discontent with where you're at. You're discontent with your life and what's going on. A lot of people, relationally, they didn't feel like they got what they signed up for when they married. And so they look at their spouse and they become discontent, thinking if I can just trade it in or I can just go to somewhere else, somehow it'll be okay. And I'm telling you, you're dealing out of bitterness. All of us, I'm telling you, my wife could stand up here and look at you and say that when she married Kevin Baird, she had a picture or a thought of what she was getting. And her initial thought was it was this guy who was standing up in front of 1,200 kids at a college chapel service. And I suppose that could look attractive. It could look winsome. It could look like, hey, he's a godly guy. It's someone that I would like to get to know. And, and she said yes when I asked her to marry me, but I will assure you she got, she got a lot more than she anticipated when she said yes to me. And there could be a moment she could say, she could say, you know what? I didn't sign up for all of this. This isn't what I thought I was going to get. And you get discontent. And it's a sign of that, that bitterness unless it's not dealt with. Now, I'm going to give you the consequences of bitterness. Bitterness is way more deadly. Listen, everybody write this down. I don't think I put it on the screen, but write this down. Listen, 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 write, write, write. Get this right now. Bitterness is more dangerous than the offense. Bitterness is more dangerous than the betrayal. Bitterness is more dangerous than the injustice and the unfairness. Because right now in people's minds they're saying, Pastor, you don't know the unfairness. You don't know the injustice. I'm here to tell you, I don't care how massive that betrayal was. I don't care how massive you think that injustice was. It is nowhere near as dangerous as the bitterness you're carrying right now. It's nowhere near as dangerous. I want to I give you just a couple quick things. And I want to read you what God says about bitterness. Turn to Ephesians 4, verse 30. The consequences of bitterness. The consequences of bitterness if it's not dealt with. Number one, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is grieved. Now, that may not mean much now, but let me just elaborate a little bit on this. Ephesians 4.30, it says this. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Listen to what he says, verse 31. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, listen, Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. There it comes again. You're to forgive people just like God has forgiven you. And he says here that, that we grieve the Holy Spirit when we allow bitterness to exist in our being. Let me just give you this word picture. If there is bitterness in the house, God 
who is absolutely the most free being in the universe, has the choice as to whether or not he wants to dwell in that atmosphere with you. And the Bible says that if bitterness and the rest, anger, wrath, and all the other things that he mentions, if it's existing in there, that what happens is, is that you actually begin to grieve or you begin to push away the Holy Spirit's dealings in your life. You will not think or function correctly without the Holy Spirit working in you. Think about this for just a second. If, if the Holy Spirit is grieved because I'm bitter, if the Holy Spirit is grieved because I'm angry, can I just, isn't this amazing? Why is it that, listen guys, why is it that when we get angry, God can't convict us? Have you ever thought about that? I started thinking about that. Why is it when that thing snaps and I get mad, I mean, God can't talk to me at that moment. I mean, why is that? I can tell you why. It's because he says right here that the Holy Ghost is grieved. So what happens is you get through your anger. I get through my anger. We get beyond that moment. Everything sort of de-escalates and settles down. And then we kind of walk our way back. Because, you know, we've had time to say, well, that probably wasn't what I should have done. And, you know, you go through all that you go through. And, 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 and you know, the... the escalation of that bitterness has evaporated and you go back and at that moment God can begin to deal with you because faithful as he is he'll come back and he'll help you get to that moment but that's why it works that way it's because we grieve the Holy Spirit think about this who if we've grieved the Holy Spirit who's going to reveal things to us if we grieve the Holy Spirit who will guide you who will teach you if we grieve the Holy Spirit who will give us the direction that we need? Do you understand why the body of Christ is aimless and, and we just we don't receive conviction and we don't receive guidance and every man does what's right in his own eyes and we come and have a big service and we think we're doing the work of God but we're filled with bitterness and we've grieved God away and God says that he won't even send his spirit for revival until we start understanding what bitterness is doing in our hearts. Think about that. Grieving the Holy Spirit by carrying your bitterness. I don't know about you. I need the Holy Ghost in my life. I'm just, I'll, I don't know if it's not manly or not, but I, I got to have the Holy Ghost in my life. I am dead if I don't have God working in my life. Number two, if the Holy Spirit is grieved, then you're left to yourself. Really? Yep. Because that's the outcome of not having the Holy Spirit in your life. You're on your own. You're taken advantage of by the enemy. Other sins are now open to you. This is what's interesting. You think you're right. But you're left to yourself. Number three. You force God to be against you. 1 John 4, listen to this. This was interesting. I ran across this passage. 1 John 4. Well, I might have wrote the wrong one down here. Give me just a minute and I'm going to run it down. Oh, I'm sorry, 1 John, it may be 1 John 1. All right. It says, 
if we say we have no sin, verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. It's 1 John, excuse me, 1 8. 1 John 1 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Oh, here, and then jump up. I'm sorry, jump up to verse 5, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Did you hear that? If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This happens every Sunday. We say we have fellowship with God. We say we love the Lord. We say we want to serve him. But the Bible says that if we walk in darkness or if we aren't aware that these issues that I read to you in Ephesians 4, bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, if we say that we, that we fellowship with God and we walk in darkness, it says we lie. We are liars and we do not practice the truth. And truth of the matter is what happens is, is that you set God up to be against you at that particular moment. Whenever you're on your own, you're saying, God, move over. I know better. What happens is when you want to embrace your injustice and your unfairnesses or your betrayals and you want to just keep hold of them, what happens is you say to God, I want to be the judge. I want to be the jury. I want to be the executioner. I know you're God, but I really know what's best in this situation. And this is what we say, because if I really forgive or if I really do what we'll learn about next week, what happens is, is that they'll get away with what they did. Nobody will know what they did. And it's really important because, Lord, I feel like it's my responsibility that the world be aware that there are people like this in the world. So somebody's got to make it known. But what happens is when we embrace all of that, God resists us. He, be, he forced him to, to just to move away from that. You say, really? Yes. He says, I'm going to forgive you just like you choose to forgive others. Now, you need to get that picture. You, I didn't make that up. You can, you can do your theological acrobatics all you want through your doctrine. I'm just telling you, it, it is being nailed in my hide that if I don't learn exactly what it means to forgive other people, God will treat me just like I want them to be treated. I don't want that. I want to be blessed, don't you? I mean, I want to be helped. I, I want the grace of God to move in my life. I, I really do. I, I, I want God to do big things in my life. Well, I've got newsflash. If you want that to happen in your life, I mean, is there anyone here that really wants God set up against them? I mean, do you really want that? I mean, I want God to be totally for me. But in order for God to be totally for me, then I got to understand, I got to deal with people just like I want God to deal with me. Wow. Now you understand why it's going to take something supernatural to happen? Number four, you lose the potential of your anointing. The consequences of bitterness will be that the bitterness causes the anointing to lift. King Saul for all of his bad traits at the end of his life, had some incredibly good points at the beginning of his life. But it was amazing that as soon as David entered into the picture and people started singing David's praises, you know, David, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. All of a sudden, jealousies and bitternesses and, and anger and things 
suddenly found root in Saul as he began to watch David and his successes. Maybe Saul was saying, hey, that's not fair. What David's enjoying, I should have got. What David is suddenly doing, I should have been able to do. God, you called me first. You, 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 you brought me into the kingdom first. I had more going for me than David. He was just this, this little sheep herder out there. But me, you know, I was a fairly good looking dude. And, you know, I can smile and it looks good on the camera and all those sorts of things. It seems to me you should have done that for me. But all of a sudden he embraced that and it got in him. And he lost the potential of his anointing. Because he grieved God. And then number five, and this is the one that, that I mentioned, there'll be no authentic relationship with God. No authentic relationship or fellowship with God. Now, I don't know, I'm not here to tell you that I think bitter people have lost. I'm not saying they've lost their salvation. I'm not saying that or teaching that at all. There are probably a lot of people that will live their whole life filled with their bitterness. And unfortunately, when they, when they get to stand before God, they'll find out that they didn't have to live life that way. But truth of the matter is that, that if you retain it in this life right now, you're going to alienate a quality of fellowship with God that you need desperately. And, and the reason that I'm teaching on all of this, and I've got to touch on bitterness before I can get to forgiveness, the reason I want to teach on this first is because most people never feel very bothered about their bitterness. Most people never think much about their unforgiveness. And I'm just here to tell you, I read this book a lot. I study this book a lot. And it's just been as of late that I've become entirely convicted to the fact that it's not just the injustices of perhaps the last five years, but I'm talking about the injustices that have taken place. I can go back 40 years. That you, that you just say, well, just let it roll off your back. Just don't... Just don't consider it anymore. Just, you know, be a big guy. Grow up. You know, all the things you say to yourself. But God's saying it is time you dealt with them in a way that brought true release to your life. Most people don't think about it. They don't want to deal with it. It's because if I let, if I let this bitterness go, they're going to get away. And you can't let them get away because the only thing you've had to live for up to this point was the fact that if I kept holding on to it, I was going to see a day when the slates would be cleaned and everything would be as it should. And you've lived that way just saying, I know they're going to get there someday. And I'm telling you right now, they may, they may not. But you've got to start living today. You've got to get free today. You've got to decide that you don't want, you don't want, you don't want God standing on the opposite side of the field from you. And you have to play against him. You want to get back on God's side. And he's telling you right now, it's time you just owned up, fessed up, confessed, and said, that's me, and, and let them go. Now I'm telling you, next week I'm going to blow your mind with the story right out of the Bible about what we're going to do. But the question is, how free do you want to be? I'm telling you, I'm not going into 2008 not free. I'm just done. I'm just done. I want you to be done with it. Be whole. Pursue wholeness. Some of you are pursuing a career. You're pursuing money. You're pursuing your next relationship. 
You're, you've, you've got uh, pursuits all over. Uh, they're not evil pursuits. Don't misunderstand. They're not evil. But when will you pursue your wholeness? When? Because I'm here to tell you, you'll get to where you think you want to be and it won't be right because you're not right. That's what I've learned. You can get everything and finally arrive where you think you're supposed to be and it just doesn't feel right and it's not because God wasn't good and gracious and didn't help you get to where he ultimately wanted you to be but you find out that you aren't right. It really wasn't about getting the next, to the next place or the next job or the next relationship. Or, it wasn't about that. It was about you getting whole. And that's what God's doing right now. And he's giving you an opportunity. I believe there's a grace right now in this place, at this mall right now. There's a grace at this mall. And, and it's not just going to be here today. I'm prophesying. There's going to be a grace that's going to be here for some weeks to get you whole. Some of you, before the morning's over, you'll come and you'll pray and you'll seek God. And I'm just here to tell you, you might as well get ready. Probably every Sunday you're going to get up and come and pray. And, it, and, and, and anybody that judges you for that, just forgive them and let them go. Because they might not be as serious as to, as, about getting whole like you are. Are you with me? I don't give a rip. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't like my transparency, tough. Because you know what? I want to be whole. If you get up every Sunday from now until the last Sunday of December and you seek God and someone looks at you and say, oh, aren't you needy? Just say, I let them go. Tough. They don't want to be whole. They don't want to be whole. It is time for wholeness. Most people never feel very bothered about their bitterness and unforgiveness until the relational repercussion is so staggering it can no longer be ignored. When we grew up in our holiness circles, we uh, would have little stories that would be told. Uh, they were sort of uh, anecdotal stories about certain things that would happen at our circle of churches. And I remembered one that was shared that uh, years ago they used to teach, talking about how God would work in your life and your heart. And uh, I forgot all the names of the... Uh, players so I'll just kind of make up some names and if your name's in there somehow it's an accident all right so but there's a prayer meeting a midweek prayer meeting that was being held and there was a silver-headed saint that was there we'll just call her Ms. Jones and every Wednesday she would come to the midweek prayer meeting and she would pray and as she would end her prayer she would always pray this way she would say Lord and now that I've prayed for all these other things, I pray that you would clear all the cobwebs out of my heart that I might be clean before you. And every Wednesday, every midweek service, she would pray that. Lord, Lord, clear all the cobwebs out of my heart so that I might be clean before you. And so the people would have heard that for years. And there was one particular midweek service when Ms. Jones couldn't be there. And so others uh, were praying as well. And it just so happened that a, a younger little boy began to pray out loud. And they let him do that. And he prayed his prayer. And then at the end of his prayer, because Mrs. Jones wasn't there, but he'd heard this all through his life. He said, and Lord, I pray the, tonight that, that all those cobwebs that Ms. Jones has been praying for, that you'd clean all those cobwebs out. 
And Lord, I also pray that you'd kill the spider <laughs> that keeps putting them things in there. I mean, you know, that's pretty good. Because that's how some of us are, man. We say, Lord, clear out all the bitterness and the unforgiveness. And it's clear for a while. Then that little spider comes back. Puts it all back up again. Clear it all out and it all comes back up again. Don't you want that spider to finally get killed? I do. I do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take forgiveness. I understand. You don't understand all that that means. I, 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 because I didn't. I'm here to tell you, I didn't understand the, the full repercussion of what forgiveness meant. I know we teach it at Encounter. And I thought I had a pretty good handle on it. But I learned a couple things that I never had learned before. And so I'm getting some new understanding. And I think they're going to be keys to help me. I think they're going to be keys to help you if you'll let it. But you always got to do what you know to do. And, and here's the key. If I can't help you kill the spider this morning, let's at least clear the cobwebs. Amen? Maybe that spider is going to get killed next week, but we got to get the cobwebs out. Amen? And if God so chooses to reveal what you need to do to nail that spider, then praise God, kill the thing. And you don't need me, Sharon, but I got a feeling. I just have a feeling that it's going to take some time. And, and you'll get it because I'm committed to getting it. And if you'll be committed to get it, we'll get it. And we really will be able to demonstrate to other people, this, this is the real deal. I'm not, it's not faking anymore. We, I want the real deal. Don't you? Sure you do. Stand with me, will you? Father, I pray right now. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would begin to move here in our midst. Lord, if we've grieved you as a people, Lord, I ask you right now to forgive us. And Lord, I'm, I, I, I pastor, I shepherd these people. And so Lord, I just, I just take upon the sort of the public persona right now of saying, Lord, we repent from that. And right now, we choose to walk in the light and not live in any darkness. And Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would be pleased to come, to not be grieved, but to come, and to not just guide and direct and to teach, but to reveal as well, and Lord, to come and convict and cause us. Lord, to see ourselves, not, not that we would necessarily just be repulsed, but Lord, that we would see ourselves in order that we could say, let it be in the light, let it come to the cross, let, it, let, let that spider be killed, let it be dealt with. Lord, if no one else moves, if no one else moves and wants to be whole, Lord, it's not about them anymore, it's about me being where I know you really want me to be. And Lord, I'll leave them in your hands because only you can deal with them anyway. Spirit of God, work on us right now. Do what I can't do. Lord, I don't want one person to walk out of this place with cobwebs of bitterness in their heart. 
But right now, Lord, without a lot of fanfare, without a lot of emotional tugging or pleading or begging, Lord, would you just talk to us and work on us and cause people right now to respond and just say, you know what, I'm ready for those cobwebs to be out and I'm going to chase that spider down. I'm going to go into every room of my heart. I'm going to open up doors that haven't been opened for years, but I'm going to chase that spider down until I finally get a hold of him and kill that thing. That's bitterness. Lord, let that desire rise up in your people, I pray. Before we go this morning, I'm going to take just another couple minutes, and I promise I really won't take very long, but if the Lord's dealing with you about just you found some cobwebs this morning and you're just saying, boy, I want to clear these cobwebs out. And, and, and you may not get a hold of the spider yet. I understand that. But, but you, you can clear those cobwebs out. And I'll assure you next Sunday, we're going we're to do our best to get that door open to get that spider. We're going to get him. And you're going to be free. But if you need right now to clear some of those out before you go, then I'm going to pray and I'm going to lead you in a prayer of forgiveness and release it doesn't matter what it may have been what betrayal injustice unfairness it could be resentment it could be grudge it could be a hundred different things but for you it's time to get it cleared out if that's you right now just slip out and just come and just come to the cross it's not coming to me just come to the cross bring it to the cross and let's get it cleared out don't, don't let the enemy say somehow you're overly needy or overly sensitive. You, you just may be more keenly aware of his work in your life, and that's a good thing. And I'm going to pray and lead you right now. If that's you right now, I'm going to just help you. And we're going to get started. I wish we could get it all done in an hour. It can't be done in an hour. This is a pursuit. Remember what I read? Pursue peace. Now, and I want to say just a couple things before we go. There may be a person that has caused offense. There may be a situation. And this is my counsel to you right now. I'm not telling you to go to them and fix it instantly. Don't get it fixed until you hear everything you need to hear. They'll be around next week. And God may well indeed lead you to go talk to a person. I'm not, I'm not trying to keep you from talking to them. You know, obviously we do what we feel like God is telling us. But I don't want you to, I don't want you just to leap to a conclusion before you get everything you need to know. And you can, you can do a lot right now and here. As you just begin to set your heart aright. You're pursuing peace with all people right now here in this place. And I want everybody that's gathered down front and those that are still in the congregation, you can, you can pray with us. But I want you right now, just get ready to release. Forgiveness means to release and to let go. And we're going to start doing that right now. I want everyone to pray this. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and sticking with me. Even when inside wasn't right I've had cobwebs of bitterness and I've dodged it and I don't want to anymore I want the truth to be in me
So by an act of my will, by my own choosing, I release and I forgive all the injustice, the unfairness, the betrayal. I release it and I let it go. It's been killing me and I want to live. I let it go. I let them go in the name of Jesus. I release them from any obligation. I release them from any debt that they owe to me personally. I release them into your economy. And I trust you, Lord. I want you. I want you to deal with me like I'm dealing with them right now. I forgive them. I want the pipeline open between you and me, between your Holy Spirit and my life. Lord, I'm learning. I don't know if I'm there yet but I'm pursuing my wholeness. Lord, I want to believe, I do believe, that by the end of this year, I'm going to be a different person. People won't recognize me. They won't recognize my countenance because you're making me whole. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't hold things against me but completely and utterly you forgave me help me to be that benevolent